are learning a lot about God when we recognize his excellence in our lives. What in the world am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us. And hopefully you'll be there for the next 28 minutes. It is going to be a very good day as we learn about the Word of God or the Bible. Now, Corey and Ryan help us to do that. Corey, what's going on? We're going to be taking a look at some really interesting potential evidence from ancient Egypt of the Israelites being in Canaan during this time period. Ryan? Today I'm exploring a claim made by non-believers that Moses really isn't the author of the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting coming up in about 18 minutes, so make sure you stay there. Janice, what's going on? What's your song? What's my song? Okay, very, very good. Let's open up the Bible and listen to what God has said to us and study. Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 through 18. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle, and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs, and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. But Jezurin grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 through 18. As we come upon the end of the book of Deuteronomy, this is Moses' covenant to Israel, and he articulates the word of God. This is fascinating. Deuteronomy 32 to 34. In fact, we have allowed ourselves to drink in the foolishness of self-creation. Evolution, for instance, has captured our thoughts and fathered many of the lies we see today. It has made us even more confused than we were before. As a result, there seems to be a great apostasy or falling away happening all around us. But the falling away is more like a slow fade rather than a fast switch. Today, we seem to be all at the tail end of it. 
where many have already drifted away from God. Now we are bearing the consequences of what that means. Yes, we are. People becoming distant, people becoming cold, self-indulgent, giving themselves over to technology for social time and instant gratification. Science is the altar to worship ourselves, science created by man. But God is still there. He's still accepting of anyone who is willing to put truth and goodness first. When Moses finished his commandments to the people of Israel, he began to prophesy. And this prophecy became a standing force for the human race through the good news of Jesus Christ. Now that is interesting, is it not? If you don't have your Bible guide, this is going to be a good study today. You can write for it or call for it or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on it. And remember, when you go there, it takes you first to the donate page. Thank you for your donations. I need to thank you and ask you that uh, to pray and ask God what he would have you do. And uh, then from the donation page, it takes you to the very printed copy or the PDF copy of the printed form that we have. It's beautiful. And so I want you to pay attention to that. Now, today we're focused on falling away. What does that mean, apostasy, falling away? Let's study that. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name as we study the falling away, that you would help us not to fall away, that we would not distance ourselves from the reality of who God is. And God made us. He made everything. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, you would help us to hear your word for what it says and not recreate the context of it for what we think. But help us, Lord. We need to understand the thinking of Christ in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now let's look at this because this is really important. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 to 12, it says, He found him in the desert land, in the wastelands, howling, talking about Israel, howling wilderness, and he encircled him. God encircled him, instructed him. And kept him as the apple of his eye. God kept him as the apple of his eye. Israel. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. The Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. We are successful when we recognize God's provisions and exclusive help. God's provisions and exclusive help. As we follow him, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ teaches us how to live and how to love daily. Now, there's a lot of people today who say, I'm a Christian. And I do things my way. You know, I'm going to, I did it my way. Well, Let's remember that if we are Christians, we have given our lives up to Jesus Christ. And through prayer and supplication and reading of the word of God, knowing the word of God, we're trying to live his way. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will. And we will be successful. Praise God. So keep that in your heart. Keep that in your mind as we read on into chapter 32, verse 13, which says, God made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rocks. What? That's a, that's a miracle. How can that happen? Well, God did it. 
Verse 14, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock and fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Basham and goats with the choicest of wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. What a description. Here we see that there is no success like living for God's kingdom. That is successful, I can tell you. Any success we have in the world is not from us or because of us, but it's from the Lord. Beloved, I've heard this so many times. Men have told me, women have told me in their businesses. They've said, well, God has made me successful. And a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I say, wow, that's amazing. What a testimony. And I tell you, if you are a business or you're successful in some way in your family, you're successful some way in your life, you need to write it down and you need to keep track of it because that's what we need to focus on, the goodness of God, the goodness of God. He is good. And if we follow him with all our heart, soul, and strength, he helps us to do his work because people need to see that. They need to grow in that. Let's go on in the scripture to chapters 32, verses 15 to 18. But Jezron grew fast and kicked. This is Israel. You grew fat and you grew thick and you are obese, Jezron, Israel. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. He scornfully esteemed him and they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To gods they that were new arrivals, that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Which brings me to this point. When we are lost, when we grow weak in our success and reject God and his work, listen carefully. We are lost when we grow weak in our success, weak in our success and reject God and his word. Beloved, we must return to the word of God to be rescued. You know, in Psalm 107 is a great illustration of this. It is the prophetic illustration of what happens. And we get along and the, they, they go away and God brings them back. They go away and God brings them back. We get along in the verse 20 after they foolishly rejected the word of God. And you know what the Bible says? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. That's what the Bible says, beloved. And that's the main verse of this program. <laughs> he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Beloved, God sends his word to you today. You've been listening to it, and I pray that you continue to listen. But let's keep that in our heart and keep that in our mind. Let's return to the word of God, read it, and begin to understand it, and listen to the Lord as he, as he helps us to make sense of our lives. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. 
God is going to make things change in our lives, and this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time, and I find that absolutely amazing. So here at the end of Deuteronomy, we're getting ready to move into the time period that we call the conquest of the promised land. So Joshua is about to move the Israelite army into Canaan and begin taking land and taking ground. Uh, I want to take a look at today some potential evidence from ancient Egypt that the Israelites were doing just this. Now, I don't want to claim that this is the only evidence because it's definitely not. There are several other elements to this argument, but I want to focus in on one particular piece of evidence that's really intriguing. Take a look. The early history of the Bible, just like the early history of mankind, is challenging to verify or establish through archaeological methods. This difficulty is due to the many thousands of years that separate us from these events, allowing for decay, natural and forced. The places and lifestyles that the Bible depicts for early Israel also present a challenge. Israel living in the Egyptian Nile Delta, for example. No papyrus documentation has survived from any time in Egypt's early history from this marshy area, and much of its architecture was removed and reused in subsequent centuries. In place of direct evidence, then, archaeologists and historians will look for circumstantial evidence when it comes to time periods, especially before the time of King Solomon, after whose life the biblical histories can be largely verified through archaeological findings and mentions in the records of neighboring kings. Every once in a while, though, an astounding find provides solid evidence that the Bible's history should be taken seriously. In modern-day Sudan, three ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic inscriptions were deciphered that contain the proper name of God as recorded in the Bible. The oldest of these inscriptions was dated to 1400 BC. Biblically speaking, this would be about 50 years after the Exodus, and so about 10 years into the conquest of the Promised Land during Joshua's leadership. The inscriptions are a part of a listing of people groups living in and around Canaan, the Promised Land, and God's name is used in them to designate a people group, the Shasu of Yahweh. Shasu was a term used to describe people who lived semi-nomadically. Unique to these Shasu of Yahweh is that all the other listed people groups are given a land designation, while these people were defined by the name of their God. Carved on ancient walls in Egyptian script, history portrays a group of people living in Canaan semi-nomadically 50 years after the Exodus, right when the Bible places tent-dwelling Israel beginning her takeover of that very place. So as we continue to move into the time period of the Judges specifically, so as we move out of Joshua and into Judges, we're going to see the initial conquest that happens in Joshua and then the settlement of the land, which is really established in Judges, and it kind of goes back and forth between good times and horrible times. Uh, we're going to be looking at more of this evidence for early Israel in the land. It is a very contested time period uh, with scholars uh, uh, for a lot of reasons. They don't even agree on the date of when this happens. But when we stick to the date that the Bible gives us for the Exodus, we can extrapolate off of that and then ensure that we're looking at the right time period. And what we do find is there is evidence for Israel in the land at that time. So more to come on this in future programs. I think it's important to remember 
what you said, and that is staying to the Bible's view on Exodus. A lot of people have extrapolated from the view that Exodus happened in the 1200 BC. But you and I believe that it's more like the 1400s. Well, yeah, and and it's based off of like that's based off of what the Bible itself says and then what scholars have done going in and and, and double checking it. So uh, the idea is like hypothetically, I wouldn't have a problem with it with the 1200 uh, B.C. Exodus, but. It's that the Bible says, you know, it gives a dating at the time period of Solomon. It gives a dating in the book of Exodus. We're like, okay, that can't be what's going on here. So what is the best fit for the evidence? And we get that date of about 1446 BC. We did that when we were going through the Exodus. So when you're trying to evaluate a biblical event, you have to take all of the biblical information for that event. Otherwise, you're not actually evaluating the biblical event. You're evaluating your idea of the biblical event, in which we see happen a lot. And that, that means reading into the Bible, reading your thoughts into the Bible, as opposed to reading what the Bible tells you out. Very interesting. Right. Very good. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, Moses has been attacked more than any other biblical author, largely by liberal scholars. And today we're investigating a particular claim made by them that Moses really isn't the author of the first five books of the Bible, which is also called the Pentateuch. And in particular, critics ask, how could Moses be the author of the fifth book called Deuteronomy, since the last chapter is an account of his death? Well, let's study. Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, Law, or Pentateuch, has been repeatedly attacked over the centuries by liberal scholars. As a matter of fact, one of these attacks questions the very authorship of these books. While Deuteronomy 31.24 clearly identifies Moses as the author, skeptics question this based on the fact that the last chapter of Deuteronomy contains a record of Moses' death. How can this be? There are a couple of simple solutions to this alleged contradiction. First, as commentator Roger Patterson notes, at the time of the writing, books were contained on scrolls, so the ending of one book and the beginning of the next were not clearly delineated. Indeed, we can see examples of this in modern translations of the Bible. In some places, the last verse of a previous chapter really belongs to the first verse of the next chapter in the Jewish text. However, just because some of the chapter divisions are different does not mean that there is an error in the text. In the same way, the closing chapter of Deuteronomy could easily be the first book of Joshua and would in no way harm the integrity of Scripture. Roger Patterson asks us to consider another possibility, that being that after having recorded the final words of blessing in Deuteronomy 33:29, another writer completed the story of Moses after his death. Whether that other author is Joshua, Ezra, Eleazar, or someone else entirely, it is clear from 2 Timothy 3.16-17 that all who had a hand in producing the scriptures were divinely inspired. Furthermore, this alternate author idea in no way detracts from Moses' authorship of the law. If upon your death someone took your journal or personal memoirs and added a short description of your death, you would still be considered the author of the biography. Therefore, from this we understand that we can certainly trust that these truly are the five books of Moses and that they all are inspired by God himself. So as we've just seen, just because the last chapter of Deuteronomy contains a record of Moses' death doesn't mean that he isn't the author of these books. We understand that the same would be true for any one of us. If you were writing a self-biography but died before it was finished, and then someone else completed it by adding in your, an account of your death, well, you'd still be considered the author. 
And now the other possibility here, like I mentioned in the report, is that because the delineations aren't always clear in Scripture, the last chapter of Deuteronomy could have actually originally been the first chapter of the next book of the Bible called Joshua. But whatever the case, the liberal scholars here are guilty of making a mountain out of a molehill, if I can use that expression. Clearly, there is no error or mistake regarding the authorship of the Pentateuch. These are truly the five books of Moses. You know, it's important to remember that uh, these this book has been challenged over thousands of years, okay? And, uh, you know, we haven't learned anything new today. We've discovered new technology, but we haven't learned anything new. God has allowed us to reveal things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and other things that show us clearly that uh, the Bible is written at a very early time. So when we, when we apply these dates to it, uh, you know, it's, again, it's our thinking being applied to the Bible. We've got to be really, really careful about that. So that's very interesting, both of you. Janice. Yes. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is the song of Moses. And it made me start to think, what's my song? What would my song sound like? I love how Moses starts his song. And what he does is he begins it with a request that the whole of the heavens and the earth hear what he has to say. Listen to it. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. And hear how he wants his words to be heard. Let my teachings drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. Why? Listen to what he says. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That's the beginning of his song. And then it goes on for verses and verses and verses describing how God has been so involved. And I thought to myself, and here comes just a little bit of a, maybe just a little bit of an ouch. An ouch for you, an ouch for me in my life as I follow the Lord Jesus. What is the song that I'm singing with my life? What's my song today? What's your song? Are we telling and showing the world our praise to God for who he is and what he's done? Or are we complaining and wallowing in what's going on in this world? Now, now don't get me wrong. I know that we have moments where, where we are in those places that are very deep and very dark. But I want to also be honest. God doesn't want us to live our life in those dark and dreary places. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light. My burden is light. God doesn't, he didn't design us to carry our burdens, to carry the load, to, to make, make it all about us all the time. He said, come and praise me. Come and know who I am. Give me your burdens and I will lift you up. And God does that 
What is your song? What is my song? I've heard some of my singing and some of my complainings over the last couple of years. And you know what? To be honest with you, I haven't liked a lot of what has come out in my heart and in my mind when I'm challenged and pushed about things that I can't do, that I used to do freely. And it has really made me rethink about my commitment about my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and his teachings in his word that show me and tell me how I should be reacting in these circumstances. And many times it's not my natural reaction. That's why it's important for us to get the word of God into our hearts and then to begin to apply it to our lives so that we're not taking people who don't know the Lord in a direction that we think they should go when it's really not truly where the Lord Jesus would have us to go. I've heard a lot of people say, well, what would Jesus do? You can't know what Jesus would do unless you know what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said, because oftentimes it's not what's in our culture. It's not even what some people say Jesus would do. We have to be very careful when we say, thus says the Lord, we better be sure that it is, thus says the Lord, and not what Janice says the Lord says or what Rod says the Lord says, or anybody else. It has to be the Word of God. What's my song today? Boy, I'm telling you, I have a good old uh, hymn. I'm not going to sing it, Um, but it's Blessed Assurance. I love this song. And I'm going to take out in the last 32 seconds. We'll see how far I can get. Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You know, three days a week, and I've said this many times, I'll say it again, but I'm just going to say it in case you missed it. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30, we're on Facebook and YouTube. And we're on Bible Discovery TV, praying for you. Join us, will you not? Please join us at Eastern Time or New York Time. Very, very important. Today we pray, Lord, I make you first in my life. Listen to that, Lord, I make you first in my life today and every day. 